Hello and welcome to FibroFlare, a podcast dedicated to fibromyalgia and helping those with this condition find options, advice, and an open conversation about dealing with our bodies. This podcast is brought to you by Tamara Sack Yoga, a yoga company that is focused on helping those with fibromyalgia and other related conditions find relief through yoga practices that are customized and accessible. I am Tamara Sack, registered yoga teacher and owner of Tamara Sack Yoga. While I am not in any way a medical professional and anything discussed in this podcast should not be considered medical advice, I am very passionate about sharing what I have learned through my yoga training, research, and over 15 years of dealing with fibromyalgia with all of you, and allowing an open conversation about our experiences and our options. Therefore, I encourage you to post your stories, reactions, questions, and thoughts on the Facebook page for this podcast, which can be found by searching at FibroFlare Podcast. That's F-I-B-R-O-F-L-A-I-R-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. You can find more information about my yoga company, classes, and special offerings at TamaraSackYoga.com. Today I want to discuss what it has been like for me over the past 15 plus years of having fibromyalgia and what that means for my daily life. I know this is going to be very personalized and I mostly qualify as a high functioning fibromyalgia patient, but my story may resonate with many people with this condition and I hope it will also help heighten some awareness in others around us. Most of the people with fibromyalgia I know don't want sympathy but we would love empathy. Pity? No. Understanding and care? Yes. It's hard to empathize with someone if you don't understand their perspective. On a good fibro day, I'm feeling my best. I'll wake up a little sore and stiff. I may get a few twinges in certain nerve areas or notice some muscle knots as I get dressed, but it's nothing I can't take a deep breath through and finish getting all my clothes on. I remember to do some of the self-care that really helps me maintain a possibility to stay in this state. For me, this means several yoga stretches and poses after circling out all of my joints. I may do this on a mat as an actual serious yoga practice, or I may just weave them into my morning routine if I'm running behind. For example, I may save my deep forward fold that stretches my hamstrings and can even release a little bit of my lower back while putting on my shoes. I also take a lot of supplements in the morning. Vitamins are a big one, as well as whatever else I'm experimenting with at the time. It could be turmeric, it could be CBD, it could be more herbals or even essential oils on my skin. I make sure I do this every morning, sometimes even before my trip to the bathroom, so that I don't forget. The bright sunlight coming in through my kitchen window nearly always makes me wince. I'm light sensitive all the time, and not just because I have chronic migraines. I'll wear sunglasses even on overcast days, or I'll pay for it with a headache, and possibly worse, a car accident because I'm squinting too much. I love light in my house as it really helps my mood, but I'm careful to how I stand in relation to the window so I don't blind myself. It's an ingrained habit now, and you can see the angling of my body as I wash dishes, prepare breakfast, or sort through things on the counter. Even on a good day, I may not eat breakfast or only grab a single bite of peanut butter or a similar protein. 
My supplements and sometimes medications can make me nauseous. So over the years, I've developed a natural aversion to eating soon after getting up. Today is a busy day for me, so I'm thrilled I'm feeling this good. I twist a little too fast getting out of the door with my purse, water bottle, and bags of recycling, and I feel that twinge in my lower back bloom into a steak knife stab and radiate up to my shoulder. I wince, take some deep breaths, and slow down my movement as I get to my car. My car is not ideal for me, especially as it's very low to the ground and I'm 6'2", but you make do with what you have. I get my recycling in the back and toss my purse and water bottle into the passenger seat. I then take a moment to address my lower back. I'll press in with my fingers, try a few pressure points, maybe go into a few gentle yoga moves while holding on to the car door or the bottom of the car seat. If it eases, great. If not, I slow down a little bit more and very cautiously ease my body into the car so I don't aggravate it further. One wrong move and I can easily downgrade my day from good straight down to a flare. When good days are rare, and they typically are in the winter for me, you protect them with all that you have. I have specific pillows that I use in the car to help support my spine while driving. So my first order of business once in the car is adjusting the pillows so everything is just right. If something's out of place, again, one twist in my torso could slam me into a flare. As no one else drives my car, chances are this is all the adjusting I'll need to do, but sometimes you need a little extra movement at the steering wheel or the seat back. I'll then do a check. If I'm using my phone as GPS, I get that settled now. Water bottle must be in reach and securing everything I can so that it doesn't dump out in case I have to do some creative driving on the interstate is necessary. Anything that I can do to reduce mess clearing later is important. It not only saves me time, but precious movements on my back as it's twingy today and pretty much every day. I flex my hands a few times and they pass the test for dexterity. Good. I won't have to think too much about moving the wheel. I twist the dial on the radio all the way down before turning it on as each day I typically have to start with quieter sound. Really loud sounds in the morning can trigger headaches or tension, neither of which I want today. Now I can start the complex manner of driving. It's much like how other people drive, but I'm twisting with my whole torso and not just my neck when I'm merging, and I often take slightly out of the way routes that are easier to merge into traffic or don't require as much turning to look behind me. I try to give more room between me and the other cars as my reflexes may be slightly slower, or my brain could freeze and leave me blank for a few seconds, and then when I come back, I need to hit the brakes to avoid hitting the car in front of me. I'm usually not allowing myself to get too distracted when I drive. Even audiobooks or the radio will be paused when I'm getting close to exits or turns I need to take because I know my brain can blank if I'm not actively concentrating. I may recite the exit number over and over in my head, sometimes starting five miles before it comes, or I'll recite the exact turn-by-turn directions in my head so I won't end up at a light struggling to figure out where I am or where I was going. Turn on a stadium, get into the far right lane, stay there so you can turn right on West Broadway, then just turn into the parking lot to the store. Turn on a stadium, get into the far right lane, over and over and over. Some routes I take nearly every day, 
So I may only have to do this recital at every turn instead of constantly for several minutes. Getting out of the car isn't just about careful maneuvering of my body. I have to check at least twice to be sure that I have everything I need, that I'm not locking my keys in the car, that my phone is with me. I'm not a person addicted to her phone, and I can and have left it behind, but it does have all of my emergency information on it in case something weird happens. And in my jobs, I tend to use it a lot to book appointments or rearrange them if I'm running late. I carefully planned my day out, usually the day before, taking into consideration the energy required to complete each task. If I'm going grocery shopping, even on a good day, I'm usually not also stopping off at the pet food place or a home improvement store. There are no six-stop shopping excursions. I might do two or three if I'm really energetic, but I know I'll pay heavily for anything more. If I'm doing self-care activities during the day, like cryotherapy or yoga, I'll plan certain activities after those when I'm most likely to have gained a little extra flexibility or pain tolerance. I'll spend most of the day at about a four to five on the pain scale that way, instead of spiking up to six. Beyond the physical, I'm very aware of the mental energy of my days. Everything has to be written down. Again, this is where my phone comes in. The timed reminders, backed up lists of items to buy and errands to run, and suggestions of places to call and make arrangements are essential to keeping my life functioning. I will almost never remember something if it's not written down. And that doesn't even guarantee anything if it's not in my calendar or I miss the chiming reminder. Even on good days, I may have to apologize to one or two people for forgetting to do something for them or bringing them something from the house or following up on a promise to call or stop by. Nearly every day, I'm leaving the house forgetting something. And I often come home forgetting to have done something. It's kind of hard on my pride. And the guilt can be quite troublesome, but it's something that those who know me are learning to understand. It's not personal. I just miss things, although I am always searching for new ways to become more reliable and productive. But a good day may mean that I haven't forgotten anything and I'm actually on schedule for once. This is amazing and can be a huge mood booster. However, there's always a level of frustration that comes along with every good day. The relief and the burst of energy accompanying my good days makes me long to do all the things. Go for a walk in the park. Get all the shopping done so I don't have to do anything else for the week. Browse for an hour or so in different stores. Or actually go to the post office and mail those packages that are already a week late. Sometimes I fall into this trap and I try, and I, sometimes I even manage to get through it all. But then, at the end of the day, I always crash hard. I love feeling highly productive, and it's still a place where I need to work on developing more grace and mercy for myself. If I don't achieve highly on a good day, sometimes I can feel as though I didn't take advantage of every moment and would even classify myself as lazy which is absolutely ridiculous, logically. Emotions are rarely logical, though, and I have to work through them just as much as I do the pain. Good days are still filled with a constant attention to movement, what energy each activity costs, what are really my priorities, and what can be sacrificed to another day. It's become so second nature to me that now I make a lot of these calculations automatically. 
Something which vastly amuses my friends who know how horrible I am with numbers and math above basic algebra. This constant assessing and restructuring in my life is often inconvenient and quite inefficient. But I know that ignoring these calculations and pushing too hard will cause severe consequences. Every few minutes, I still have a twinge or a stiffness or a slight pull somewhere in my hips, shoulders, and especially my lower back. It's always reminding me what could be coming, what it could turn out to be if I'm not careful. And now, most of the time, I listen. My good days may not sound all that great to other people who don't struggle with a disability or chronic illness. They can also be misleading. Several people in my life almost always see me on good days or fairly good days, so my days of deeper struggle really confuse them or seem like I'm exaggerating. The truth of my life being a constant roller coaster with just as many unexpected turns as prepared for ones can be really confusing, and I understand that. I also often put up a brave front or hide my symptoms as much as possible in public. Part of this is because I'm not always up for a discussion on my condition, my limitations, and the mysterious nature of chronic illness. Part of this is because deep down, I want to be that person who was only mildly struggling. Compared to several years ago, this is actually fairly true. I'm not an invalid popping opiates like candy and struggling to sit or stand for more than five minutes. I have multiple jobs, I help people in my community, and I usually keep up with enough housekeeping that my house is clean, albeit rather cluttered. My life is leaps and bounds away from those darkest of days. Still, I struggle, and it takes time and practice to get my focus back on where it needs to be instead of wishing for what is not possible today. It may be possible someday, but I need to accept that today is not that day, and it's okay. It's part of working on the yogic philosophy of acceptance, and it has become a regular part of my yoga practice these past several months. What do I look like on days that I struggle? It depends. Some days I'm writhing in bed because a horrible storm came out of nowhere. Weather is a massive trigger for my fibromyalgia. Some days getting my basic needs met is a huge accomplishment. And I have to go through the process of canceling everything in my day so I can have the time to recuperate at home. Have I gone to the emergency room? Yes, once, when the muscle spasms were so severe they dropped me to the floor. It didn't do much good to go, and so I usually try to do everything that I can think of at home to care for the pain. Ice or heat packs, medications, yoga breathing and movement, even if it's very slow and only for a few seconds at a time. I can sometimes encourage myself to sleep through tough hours. I often engage in highly distracting activities, like audiobooks that take me to a completely different world or watching a fascinating new movie or television show. Some of my other hobbies, like cooking or crocheting, can include too much pain-inducing movement, so I don't often engage with those when I'm really struggling. Have I ever crawled on the floor because I was too weak or dizzy to stand up? Yeah. Have I collapsed onto the floor and cried? Yes. Have I taken hour-long showers until all the hot water is gone? 
Yes, although I don't recommend standing that long under hot water. Have I ever passed out due to the pain? It's not often, but it has happened. On these days, my life is purely about survival. I'm very fortunate to have a full-time job at an online university so I can still work on bad days from home, but I know there have to be limits to how much I do that, as the typing or the angle in the chair can cause way more pain than what it's worth. The hope I cling to during these moments is that I'm going to be okay. I've been through worse, and I know I'll have better minutes, hours, or even days ahead. I'll breathe slowly and consciously, relaxing through the pain as much as possible, and slowly stroking my skin while reminding myself of this for a few minutes. Then I might move on to whatever my next plan is. A nap, a restorative yoga pose, listening to an audiobook, a lotion bath that is laced with pain-relieving properties, maybe some over-the-counter painkillers, or whatever else appeals to me at the time. I've learned over many, many years to listen to my body and really investigate what it wants and what would be best for it to recover. In future podcasts, I'll talk about this process a little more. It's one of the key elements of how I've used yoga to help myself through the worst days of this chronic illness and how I managed to keep a hold of my better days. I hope this little discussion of what my good days and struggle days look like is really inspirational for you. Maybe you're somebody who doesn't have fibromyalgia, but there's people in your life that do, and this helps you get an idea of what they might be struggling with and what they may not be able to articulate that their life is like. Maybe you are someone with fibromyalgia and the descriptions of my good days give you hope that you can get there too, or at least you feel like you have a comrade in arms who is struggling right there next to you. As always, thank you for listening, take care, and I'll talk to you next week.